Kijk, oranje of blauw? Weet ik niet. Weet ik niet. Volgens mij heb jij rood. Dat is best hoor. Dat is best hoor. Oké. Oké. Hallo allemaal. Hallo allemaal. Um, we zitten hier nu met Emiel. Emiel, wil je dit in het Nederlands of Engels doen? Um, voor mij moet even eigenlijk. Voor jou moet even? Ja. Ja, ik denk wel dat het leuk is om, uh, we hebben steeds geprobeerd om het in het Engels te doen, dus het is niet vaak gelukt, maar om met jou even terug te kijken op de beurs is misschien wel leuk als iedereen die ook iets met de beurs te maken heeft gehad, dat uh, terug kan luisteren als ze willen. Sure. Good day, we're here with Emile. <laughs> Emile. Emile, yeah. Emile, can you introduce yourself? Hi, I'm uh, Emile van der Pol. I'm the director of the Desart Foundation. And um, this year I got the opportunity to organize a fair uh, for all those people that graduated during the corona times and uh, yeah i'm uh, really happy with how it turned out <laughs> so we're sitting here with the one and only director of springboard yeah yeah i really dislike the term director yeah it's, yeah uh, what does a director do I, i'm not too sure actually <laughs> i'm in charge i'm responsible for a lot of things and i try to make everything go as smoothly as well but yeah i think my role is to uh get a certain atmosphere across and make sure that everything and everyone is happy, basically. Yeah. And uh, how, how is that going for you? Well, I haven't had any bad remarks, except for, uh, you know, my own own thoughts on deliberation and the heat is a bit much, but yeah. I think you've talked about the heat quite some bit. Yeah. No, we oh. can talk about the art climate uh, uh, <laughs> here. It's brewing. No, everybody's talking about the heat, huh? The yeah. weather. Yeah. You can plan for everything, but not for the weather. Yeah. <laughs> so, how did this come about? Like, when did this start to be an idea that you want to make this fair? <laughs> um, well, there's like the boring version, which is that Mondrian Fund and Kunstbeernaat Kultuurfonds and the Ministry of OCMW, uh, they really wanted to help this group of artists because they saw in their statistics that uh, quite a few artists from this period are no longer active as artists. So you can say that um, looking at the period of 2019 till now, uh, till 2021, so the artists present here, there is uh, I think about 1800 graduates and at the time we were working on the project they thought only 400 were still active as artists. Of, of the whole group, so that's extremely low. Yeah. Even How do you measure that? Do you know that? Well, it's just through alumni uh, things in the art academies, and uh, they keep in touch with their artists. Uh, yeah, for some measure, to say. But we also found out during the research for this project that a lot of art, art academies don't really invest in their alumni and don't really seem to uh, want to keep in touch with people. So there's a big difference there. Some academies are great at it, some others not so much. Yeah. Um, but from that we did a really nice session of feedback groups with a lot of artists from the spirit and we, want, we basically asked them what do you want? What do you want from us? We, uh, we are getting some money to do something. Um, do, do you want just do you want money? Do you want a fair? Do you want another kind of event? And um, I think the consensus was that people wanted to make connections with other people. And that was what sorely missed. And uh, th looking better, back at the corona period I think what I also missed the most was uh, the openings, the whole social fabric of the art world that's really necessary. So uh, I think if you walk around here, um, there are so many artists that have just made great developments in their work and just within a time span of a year, just spent time making things in their studio. And it's, it's incredibly interesting. 
but they had hardly anyone to show it to. You know, there was all this pent up energy and also disappointment of, yeah, what am I an artist for? Is it for making work or is it having this work interact with other people? I think, uh, yeah. With this art fair, uh, we, we came up, uh, with this art foundation, we came up with something that is in line with our DNA. So we already organized this works as a, like a place where people can develop their practice and um, get in touch with a relevant network. And then we do an art fair as well, but that is not especially an art fair fit for this group of artists because usually you pay for your booth and it's much more like an investment and it's um, in line with more the more commercial art world. Oh. Is it usually with galleries that uh, that rent a booth or it's also like here it's artists who rent a booth in yeah. this art fair? Yeah, we started out with also allowing galleries, um, but last year we decided, no, I think the year before we decided to just work with artists. Also because of developments in the art market itself and we saw more and more artists that um, honestly work better autonomously than within, with a gallery. The presentations became more clear and also the profile of the fair itself became more clear. And it was quite a big decision because if you don't no longer invite galleries, you lose a lot of network. Yeah. That's one of the few things uh, we gallerists are good for. I, I noticed something that's disturbing me. Maybe if you want to come a little bit forward with the chair. Sure. True, you're really on the edge. You're living yeah, on yeah, the yeah. edge, Emil. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> it will be a grand finale of the, <laughs> <laughs> of the fair. You also have a gallery, right? Yes, that's right. How long do you uh, so I, um, identify as a gallerist? <laughs> yeah, I, I do identify more as a gallerist than as a director, maybe. But um, I, I, I started working at Torch Gallery in Amsterdam um, I've worked there for 10 years as a director and afterwards I wanted to start something for myself and I have had singular art now for a little uh, close to five years. And why Nijmegen? Um, well it's a long story on a short story but the short story is that uh, I was born there and there's hardly any galleries in the region and it's uh, it's very strategically located on the border. On the river. <laughs> yeah, on the border with Germany. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, there's um, and it's still travelable, uh, even though people from Amsterdam think it's on the other side of the world, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It Can feels far away, but it's yeah. a it's a tactical position, <laughs> high 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 ro rise Roman fortress. It's yeah. a really nice city, I think. Um, can you maybe say a bit more about your background and how you became a gallerist? Yeah, um, I studied art history in Nijmegen as well. Got a master's degree there. Um, and during that master's degree, I focused on um, television as a medium for art and I uh, was always really interested in uh, how this connection between art and people was made. So um, looking through all the history books and I was uh, reading up on 70s um, conceptualism and I always wondered how did this market sustain itself? How did the people get in contact with these very obscure ethereal practices? And I found this book uh, called Unconcealed and it describes the market behind the conceptual art world of the 70s. And it's, it's really, a, it's an interesting read. It's, it's kind of statistical and a lot of data, but you can see that there's certain key figures um, that made everything happen, basically. And most of these key, key figures were either collectors or gatherers. And their, heart, their names are not often mentioned in, in uh, history books, but they are, um, yeah, as I like to call myself sometimes uh, the, the gallerist is like the lubricant for the art world we make things happen so. yeah <laughs> nice yeah and uh, from there so I started looking for an internship and 
I sent really nice letters everywhere and I went to all the galleries in Amsterdam. But at the time I looked, I had hair until my ass and uh, <laughs> just I looked like a giant hippie. <laughs> so um, yeah, that didn't really work out. And uh, I was at a party at my in-laws and it turns out that the neighbors of my in-laws are the parents of the girlfriend of the Galleries of Torch. <laughs> and that was my way in. Wow. So it's, I think that's an example of uh, the art world being very close that so you need like a lot of luck to get in. And uh, from there on I did an internship. It was really a nice collaboration. I worked there for 10 years and I started uh, to get liking uh, the gallery business more and more. And uh, the thing I think I like about it is that um, there's a whole group of people here that, um, you know, within the art world, people see, often see galleries as commercial entities, as people who are making money of artists. But I think um, they're also very, very, very dedicated. Because if you want to make money, you could, you'd better go into real estate or car sales or I don't know what. Yeah. So for people to be invested in this kind of art as we see here, um, it really takes some conviction. And uh, yeah, it felt like a group I could be part of. So. So you. You saw gallerists as uh, as this lubricant and as this mm -hmm. maybe as as also people that can take care of artists somehow. Uh, why why are you so invested in this in this art? <laughs> um, it's a good question. I think at the core of it is um, that I like to surround myself with people who take a lot of autonomy in their life and design it in a way that um, is uh, as far away of the common denominator as possible. So I think it's, 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 for me, it's an interesting way to uh, give shape to your own life, but also help um, promote things that you believe in. So all of the artists I work with have devised ways of making uh, this life work for them and uh, communicate their ideas about life in uh, interesting ways. So it opens up doors and um, gives you a lot of experiences. Yeah. Nice. Um, one other thing that I'm really curious about, because now I understand that you have a, your, really your conviction, um, uh, and I think a big, like from what I've observed, a big part of your job seems to be also talking to people and being in big groups. Mm -hmm. uh, how do you find that? Um, yeah, as my uh, three-year-old daughter says, uh, Daddy, your work is blah, blah. <laughs> 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 uh, that's, that's a big part of it, yeah. And uh, for me, it's really exciting to try to uh, communicate some of the abstract ideas here to people who might not have any interest in the first hand. So um, if you have some collectors, but also um, we've tried to get new sponsors here. So if you're walking around with people from real estate companies, fund, uh, fund, hedge fund managers, that, that, those kind of people, um, just trying to see if we can make a connection. And sometimes it works and you can really um, I spent a lot of time working with, love walking around with a group of lawyers, and we went to a Repestilsius booth, and you know, uh, that was a really interesting conversation. Uh, wow! How did that go? <laughs> it went really well. Yeah, yeah. So they, they looked really dirty at the at the start, and like, like uh, what we're we going to do now. And I told them, well, yeah, this is actual squatters here. Uh, so they were confronted with people who are in fact breaking the law. Um, but we're willing to discuss how things happen. And it was a really interesting conversation. I think those kind of moments in communication make it worth it, that you can really slightly, slightly change someone's viewpoint. Yeah. 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 Wow. Just make some connections, maybe. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And cool. I think uh, a lot of people, I give a tour, uh, they keep in touch with the artists they spoke with. And uh, 
for instance, the state secretary, uh, I saw that she started following some of the artists she talked with on Instagram, and then uh, you can really see things happening on the long run, and that's really yeah. rewarding. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I got. Uh, I was really stoked when I got a follow by the Staatssecretaris <laughs> and afterwards immediately by Richard de Mos. Ah, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So we're going up. <laughs> Shout out, Richard. Yeah. Come. When are you finally going to come on our podcast? Please come on the pod. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you talked about that you had really long hair. I'm really interested. Like, what 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 were you talking about there? Yeah, said, yeah. Like, no. Um. Yeah. During my study times uh, and still somewhat, uh, I was really. Uh, into squatting punk, like um, alternative lifestyle kind of thing, and then uh, it's, it's sometimes you make in your life you make some of some of these transitions, like in how you feel your, you look at yourself and how you present yourself. And uh, so I started working in Amsterdam, and suddenly it was important to be rep representative, and to I could finally see why it is worth it to put on a suit, for instance. Can you explain why? Uh, well, uh, yeah, it's, it's difficult to say here because I'm not in a suit currently. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> No, but I think um, when starting out uh, a position like this, it can feel like a bit of armor. Like, uh, yeah, you're, you feel like you're part of the, the mean common. But it is also uh, a way of showing respect to the people you're working with. So I always feel like um, if you put on the right attire and uh, communicate to the outside world, hey, uh, I'm, making I'm, I'm making an effort and I hope you do the same thing. So. so it's really about a costume and a role in a sort yeah, of theater yeah, play that yeah, we yeah, are Yeah, yeah. I think uh, a lot of what I do is, is playing roles and, and trying to uh, connect with people by being empathic about what their perspective on things is and trying to see if you can make a connection somewhere. And what age did you have this uh, moment of switch? Because I've you say you were maybe part yeah. of sort of this uh, a subculture or a sort of scene. Mm -hmm. Like what, uh, from what age to what age did we? I think um, in my late twenties. Yeah, so early twenties, I was still very much invested. I think around twenty-five, it was a lot less. And then, uh, yeah, you know, I still go to to punk parties and stuff like that. But what uh, was your favorite band? <laughs> uh, that changes a lot. But I was always very, very much fond of uh, Fear. Uh, yeah. So it's an old school punk band. Shall know. we play the song after the Yeah, interview? let's play a fear song yeah. after. Yeah. Cool, yeah. yeah. And do you also wear your suit when you go to the punk parties? No, no. that feels awkward. Yeah? Yeah. yeah. I, I've seen it and it, yeah, no, then, then it becomes uh, all about me. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. No, I, I really like about clothing that you, you can dress in all different ways and you can take on all these different forms and you can go through different worlds just by the clothes that you wear as a kind of... Yeah, yeah, and it's interesting on the fair to see uh, how artists choose to represent themselves also in their appearance. And yeah. Right now it's just hot, so yeah, 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 it's practical. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, uh, you quickly look like an art, an art, an art kid. Yeah. <laughs> if you, yeah, if you just kind of randomly combine, right? But, but, but... I work with one artist who, uh, he purely makes digital and video work, but uh, whenever he has, he has a studio visit, he puts on this overall with paint stains on it. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, the overall. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, so people are sure he's an artist, yeah. Yeah, you see yeah. also in the in the booth of Sid and uh, um, Paul. Sid and Paul that they have these matching outfits. Yeah. That make that always make sort of. Yeah, their booth is one of my favorites in the yeah. fair. Yeah. Yeah, it's mine too. Yeah. Yeah. What Did do you like about it? That it's so purely stylized, and um, when starting out, they told me they wanted to be a part of the fair, but also stand out and really cultivate this feeling of um, 
you know this is an object that has a function, but you're not too sure what the function is. And I think it really turned out well. And also, it's nice to drink a brandy there. You know. yeah, yeah, it is. They have nice brandy there. <laughs> They're super good. We got immediately in a fight with them. Oh, good. <laughs> it was really nice. Yeah, yeah. What, what's the fight about? Um, I, I, I think he was wrapping up this word that he's, he sold, and then I kind of made a remark that it was... The, the, I, I, I recognized this fo foil with the bubble wrap as being the one from Action, the cheapest one. Mm. And I was like, yeah, that's the worst. <laughs> but it is, actually, because yeah, yeah. all the bubbles are always empty before you even unwrap it. Mm. So, like, it doesn't, it beats the purpose. Yeah. And that didn't go down well. He was immediately, like... But it was yeah. a weird theater play, also. He was, like, he was saying, like, you're not scoring any points. You're coming here to make a podcast about us, right? You want to interview me. You want to, yeah. Mm. They were tough on us. Yeah, they were tough. But it was really nice. Yeah, it was turned out great. Yeah, yeah. It turned out great. <laughs> Uh, if you were an artwork, which would you be? Um, I think uh, still a video piece from the 70s on an old school TV. Yeah. <laughs> Sick. Yeah. <laughs> what, what video, anything comes to mind? Well, the first thing that came to mind is that piece that I wrote a lot about is uh, by uh, Marinus Boesem. It's uh, him breathing into the camera. And it, it's still one of my favorite pieces. And the second one was by, uh, um, I always mispronounce his name, Gino Dominicis. He's an Italian artist, and he made a video piece uh, called uh, Tentativo di Volo, so Attempt to Fly. And it consists out of uh, someone in a granny screen just jumping off a rock 20 times and trying to fly, just f flapping his arms. And it looks completely pathetic. But then, if you read into it, it turns out he, um, he made a contract uh, that states, uh, it's also part of his testament, that states that uh, for the coming generations, Isovich kids have to go to the exact same spot and try to fly uh, <laughs> a couple of times. <laughs> wow. So, yeah, uh, his whole thing is that um, infinite repetition leads to some results sometimes. And you don't, re it, it, it's, it's about how small you are as a human, how um, arrogant you can be that you can think of all conclusions of every action. So it's like tr throwing a pebble into a, a pond of water and waiting until uh, one of the circles becomes a square. It can happen. You know, it can happen. <laughs> yeah. Whoa. <laughs> That's a sick anecdote. Are you also a writer? That you wrote about, you said you wrote a lot about yeah, this video. Yeah, um, well, it's a good question because I, I think I used to be a writer. Uh, I did a lot of writing for a lot of catalogs and uh, essays and stuff like that. But um, I think the, during the corona period, I just did not find it rewarding anymore. Just it felt like writing into the void. And I, I, I haven't wrote, written much in the last time. Uh, oh, no. Uh, uh. Maybe an artwork needs to come along yeah, perhaps, at some yeah, point to yeah. trigger to yeah. trigger it again. Or yeah, I think it, it's for writing. It's important to have it to have a function. Yeah. So I, I've never written anything just for the sake of writing it. You wouldn't want to write a book. No. Yeah. Or someone would need to say, "Hey, you should write a book about this," and uh, yeah, yeah. then it has a function mm -hmm. because yeah. Are you also a bit aware of like the art climate in like postgraduate artists in like other countries in? Europe, for example? Um, not so much. I've, I've on, spoken with a few academies in, uh, in Germany and in Belgium. Um, I think in Belgium, people often just ignored rules and went on doing what they were doing. And uh, the Germans, they described a similar situation, as in uh, they did get a lot of subsidy. Uh, Merkel really um, pulled out the wallet and uh, gave them a lot of money. but. They also noticed that the social fabric is still gone. So they had the same problem that a lot of uh, galleries and museums still have, that the public that's coming is not... It, it's starting to grow again, but it's not what it used to be. You know? 
was they, they were really places that were part of the fabric of everyday life and people went there and visited and now it's still something like a special occasion yeah and because in the in a way that this is quite a unique event yeah in luxurious in, kind of yeah luxurious but also kind of special that there is like so there's like data there's like people that read the data and they make a conclusion about uh, something that's like not good yeah and then, <laughs> then, then they want to help and then they want to <laughs> help <laughs> yeah and then like the in the end there is a springboard art fair in a way that's that's uh, I don't I don't think you would see that in like any other country maybe Switzerland maybe Switzerland <laughs> yeah seems like uh, it's very caring in a way yeah it's yeah. very attentive but also I think it's it's, it's in, in a typical Dutch way right uh, like there is an open call and you do need to um, explain yourself to the funds and it, it's all very much in paper still and like yeah you know it's 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 um, the Mondrian Fund and Prince Bernard have been very very open and kind and it's uh, that's not, you know, it's 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 difficult for the funds as well because they have to explain themselves to the ministry, and uh, you know, yeah, it's it's still uh, very much a political thing, and um, yeah, I'm really happy that it turned out in the right way. This, uh, so there, yeah. also to see that they were just uh, very much satisfied at the opening. Yeah. yeah. Where would we be without Mondrian and Prince Bernard? I don't know. Where would we be? Well, if you look at uh, at, uh, at the United States, for instance. Oh my God! I don't wanna. Yeah, no, that's what we would. <laughs> <laughs> then you would be uh, at the mercy of someone with just a certain person with a lot of money. Yeah, but this has been also a tradition yeah. in the arts, right? The mecenas. Yeah, but not as much as people think it has. Okay. Yeah. Um, people always think that there used to be this golden age where everyone was paid, but if you look at the numbers, it's only a very, very small group of artists still. It's nowhere comparable to the amount of artists that are working right now. And mm. I don't think it's often posed like, uh, yeah, we need the mecenas back and blah, blah, blah. There are still plenty of people with money and there's still plenty of mecenases, but uh, they are still the same numbers as they used to be. It's just that there is way, 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 way more artists and the art world is truly globalized in a sense so yeah if you don't find a gallery or mecenas here why not go to germany belgium wherever you know? yeah. yeah how do you feel that the art world has changed from the moment that you were studying art history until like now you're part of uh, the art world well there's there's so many changes but i think most significant is uh when i started out nobody would think of sending a piece online that has really developed, you know. People didn't trust uh, the digital image, and I think it's still wise to not trust in, in anything you see on the screen, basically. It, it can all be fake, but uh, I think that's one of the biggest changes, that uh, a lot of sales and market have moved online, and what accompanies that is that uh, there's a huge increase in sales uh, of pieces that are just squares, so two-dimensional works that go on a wall. And I think uh, when I started out, there was, there was a steady amount of sales in video, conceptual pieces, sculptures, that kind of stuff. It was really growing, and uh, that has really declined, I think. So the market, in a way, has become larger, but also safer and more uh, easy to digest, basically. Do you have any idea why? Um, I think when you move things online, uh, the focus becomes more on uh, doing things frictionless and speed and... Uh, I think the old galleries, in a sense, um, they allowed for a lot more complexity. And the people who went there uh, also... I used to have people coming in the Torch Gallery who read all the press releases of previous shows of artists, read the catalog and started asking questions. Now people come in after seeing an Instagram post and it's just, yeah, entertain me, basically. 
So that's a big change, I think. And another one would be that um, the gallery scene at least has become a little less generous in a sense. So when I started out, the openings were all very much packed. Everyone got free beers, snacks if they were available. And uh, the galleries and the artists were talking with anyone uh, they could find. And, and I see more and more galleries doing private diners, VIP things. And the, the actual opening is like an afterthought. Exactly. Yeah. Is it also your ambition with your gallery to uh, to look more for this more complex exchange around uh, an artist's work and, and sale and stuff? Yeah, yeah. I think my whole approach with um, I'm going to a new gallery space next year, and the whole approach will be that uh, everything is available, but it's also as complex as it needs to be. So I'm going to be serving free food there. I'm going to be uh, installing all kinds of works, and there will be some explanation but that but it's all about striking a conversation and yeah. i think um uh, an australian artist once said to me like complexity is the is, is the new porn it's almost uh, shameful to admit that you like it <laughs> <laughs> wow so good mm. well good title <laughs> yeah. uh, and 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 like in artists do you feel that the artists are more of self-entrepreneurial qualities in the Oh yeah, certainly. Yeah, I think any artist graduating now um, is way more self-sufficient than the artists that I started working with uh, 15, 20 years ago. It's just it was. Uh, you can imagine. Um, I think during the 90s, uh, at average, you had your first solo show when you were about 40 years old. Years old. Yeah. And now uh, it's right after your academy, you already have solo shows. And um, your first catalog was something to dream of that happened like very late in your career and that's already so everything has cranked up and in, in turn uh, the artists have taken up responsibility I feel um, it also makes me very happy to find artists that say fuck this I'm just going to do very inconvenient things and not play along you know yeah yeah. is that also uh, a large group of people that are part of Springboard you feel I would say it's a mix yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's some uh, very, very well-adjusted people and some less-adjusted people, and uh, that's just exactly where I want it. You know? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's also interesting for me to see with the coaching and uh, with the, the workshop we did through this works that uh, some re people really take it to heart, and others uh, are have this attitude of anything you say is a dogma, and yeah, distrust it as, as soon as you can. <laughs> and yeah, what what is the result? They do start thinking about it. You know, there is this. Uh, there's a little seed planted of... <laughs> <laughs> That's sneaky. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you, you cannot uh, close your ears. No, exactly. You can open your mouth afterwards and say yeah. a lot of things, but it's already planted in the head. Yeah. Yeah, and if I'd like to, you know, give anything, it's that, that I feel like a lot of young artists that graduate uh, have a certain fear or dislike of the commercial art world, why that's still a very valid place uh, where you can certainly find your spot yeah it's just that you have to keep your autonomy uh, but i think most of you are more than capable of that so. yeah that that i think as well but it is a it is a it is a shark world right so like you got to be on top of your stuff and sometimes yeah. i think transition of like someone who's in an art school coming in entering sort of like his feet in a sort of piranha pool <laughs> you know, like it can feel like this sometimes like oh, overwhelming yeah, and like yeah. not having the, the social social sharpness that you know no um, i think it's 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 very wise to pick what you like and ignore the rest for a, for a certain amount of time 
And for instance, I um, I coached, uh, I think two years back, I coached an artist towards uh, his this art fair presentation. And uh, yeah, as much as we thought, it, it just turned out he, he does not want to walk, talk about his work and uh, does not really feel comfortable sending his own work. So I advised him to just hire a representative. And uh, instead of going the normal route of trying to find a artist, he just found a, uh, like a professional salesperson. Wow. Put them, <laughs> yeah, put them in the booth and was very successful. So cool. That's yeah. crazy. Yeah. That's yeah. a good idea. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we, we, uh, we, s we spoke to some artists who were also... Yeah, there's a lot of tension. I was, uh, I, I was thinking yesterday, uh, or the day before we were up there, and uh, we saw uh, all these artists uh, from there, uh, and some of them kind of really happy and, and outgoing to the people, and some of them kind of, you could really see. And then we saw you uh, walking uh, like a bit like a farmer over his land. <laughs> it was really nice to see. Yeah, that's also my awkwardness with my new role as director, you know. You know, where do you need to go? What do you need to do? I'm just trying to help people. Yeah. <laughs> Smile and wave. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no. It's, and so, so I started thinking while walking around on the fair. Well, Van uh, Hof, the director of this art fair, he's also walking around, but it always looks like he exactly knows what he's doing. You know, I'm not sure if it's true, but it at least looks that way. So, Does yeah. he get some sort of like training, or is that like Perhaps, a special yeah, like yeah. born quality? It might be. <laughs> I do not. Uh, I don't know. I've always found, found uh, it's good to question yourself at all times, and even you know, if you put on a suit and I say, "Hey, I'm the director." That's that's exactly the point where you think, oh, well, what's going on? Okay. You know? Yeah, what's this? Uh, do I have some kind of authority? Do you feel like you have to prove something then? Or? Oh, sure, but that's all the time. Yeah. How do you react to that if you feel that? Because I, it could also be like counterproductive if you sort of feel like <laughs> I need to prove myself or something. Yeah, yeah, it certainly can. It can be. Uh, I, I think I felt it more in the run-up to the fair. So this, uh, I, I've done plenty of art fairs as a gallerist, and I know what what's needed to make it somewhat successful. But the whole process in the run-up, so the fundraising and working with the team is all well very new for me. And then it becomes a bit debilitating if you, at every turn you think, oh, I need to prove myself and this needs to be the best outcome possible. So I've, I think I've learned in a year to uh, accept that some things are just good enough and uh, move on, basically. Yeah. What's Great. next? What's next? <laughs> uh, I'm going on a vacation with my family. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, wait, you're going to the castles. To the wine chateau. Yeah, we're going to wine. Yeah, you yeah. a big wine fan? Yeah, yeah. Um, this was also part of that transition I thought talked about actually. Uh, yeah. yeah, I used to be like a straight beer guy, you know, beer, <laughs> beer, beer guy. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> just beer, lukewarm beer, uh, cheap. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, I met my girlfriend, my current wife, and uh, her her parents uh, just strictly listened to Mozart and uh, drink very fine wines and I was sitting there at the table and I was uh, they, they had one beer in their cellar and so oh. so I needed to change that a bit as well so it was a <laughs> practical uh, choice yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, no but it, it, it's it's a very interesting thing wine it's it's also it's it's been a, a lot around for ages for centuries and there's so much um, bullshit but also so much actual current uh, accurate information and uh, what I found uh, we, we always go to the same place in France and there's a lot of winemakers there and what I find striking is that winemakers themselves are often very much uh, philosophers or people who have a, like a very cool relationship with the land they work on uh, at least the good ones do 
So yeah, it was really a way of thinking of producing something that a lot of people like. It's it's um, you can ask a fair price for it. It's it, it seems like a decent business model. You know, it's renewable in a sense, and of course there's problems and uh, labor is a thing and. You know, France is very political in terms of wine, but uh, at the core of it, I think it's using something pure like the grape and coming to something that's very complex and uh, yes, you can learn a lot about. I've always liked things that there's a lot of lot to learn about, you know. What's the similarity between art and wine? Um, well, it's always easy to start drawing parallels. It's, it's yeah, I don't know if it's too interesting. What's the difference between art and wine? <laughs> Everyone likes wine, basically. <laughs> Yeah, we were thinking yesterday, yeah. we were having this wine tasting with uh, Marine, yeah. and uh, we were thinking, because there's this complex flavors, but it's not like with music that wine can ever become atonal or something, like with our... I think it can, yeah. 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 Um, well, the first thing you can think about is, of course, the natural wines. Um, those have a very yeasty taste that's really not for everyone and uh, is not in line with what you think of as, as a good wine. But there's also like, uh, there's a Greek wine that uses uh, pine resin. Um, and that's a really weird, weird taste when you first get into it. It feels like this should not be in wine, but then the second sip you think, well, maybe it should. So I do think there's some atonality there. Um, What's the name of this wine? Uh, the most well known is, is Retsina. So. Yeah. Okay. Is that also? Oh, they are moving some, uh, some, moving some bottles around. Something's happening. <laughs> Sounds kind of like an audio piece in the headphones. Yeah. <laughs> Is, the, uh, Is that also something you like? The more atonal. Um, no, not really. No, I've, I've. Uh, it's always a chore to listen to atonal music and uh, free jazz. Oh, sorry, yeah. I, I meant with the wine. Yeah, uh, yeah, no, the same thing. Um, oh yeah. I, I like to be challenged sometimes, but also wine is uh, a large part is being with people and relaxing. Exactly. And, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's uh, you know uh, I've always with my father-in-law we have the discussion between uh, like he he just basically only enjoys Mozart, which is very tonal. You know, there's some yeah. uh, there's some discrepancies here and there. He just does play a bit, but then. Um, I'm also much into more ambient kind of uh, soundscape-y things. And he does like to listen to that, but once it becomes atonal and really uh, intentionally frictional, then I lose interest. I think this is just, uh, it's something I see in the arts as well. Um, there are some pieces that are just so intentionally hermetic and complex without having a real reason to be so complex. And like really ungenerous or yeah, something. Yeah, exactly, yeah. yeah. Wow. Um, do you want to say anything uh, to the listener? <laughs> uh, no, well, who do you think your listeners are? <coughs> uh, good question. That's a good question. <laughs> we don't know, actually. No. We just... Uh, Our see families. <laughs> 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 Our followers. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone on the fair. No, the people that are listening are uh, the people that are in dying need of life advice by Emil. Yeah. No, I don't think anyone is. <laughs> <laughs> no, but uh, you know, it's uh, if you're talking to the artist, I think it's uh, um, really commendable how uh, the group has has pulled through, also through the command, uh, Corona period. You know, I think the the current political climate is very adverse to anyone just working outside of any box, basically, and uh, it's very encouraging to see that still a lot of people are uh, discovering themselves through art. You know and taking the space and time that is needed to do so. so. 
I think that's uh, that's really wonderful, and I hope a lot of people feel follow the example of artists and uh, do a little uh, experimentation themselves. Yeah. Great. Nice. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much. Sure. Go nice drink some water. Yeah. Let's uh, let's let's play one song by Fear. Fear. Yeah. Which song by Fear? <laughs> Uh, no, just pick any. It's fine. Pick any. Yeah. Oh, we have to connect the, the phone. Living in the city is the most well-known one. I think that's good. Living in the city. Yeah. What are you going to do today? What are your chores? Um, well, it's the last day, so I need to make sure that... Uh, it's built down, eh? Built down, yeah. yeah. So that's uh, always quite hectic. Yeah. So all these arts... There, yeah. And what I like about fear is that it's also... Yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, that's yours. Wait. Am I back? Yeah. No, you're not back. No, you're back. Okay, yeah. cool. <laughs> <laughs> so what I like about fear is that it's also very performative. So the front man is uh, someone who also did a lot of theater work and... Uh, he really cultivated its kind of really tough New York kind of in-your-face uh, style, but then again, it's also he's expressing himself through loud music, so it's very vulnerable. In the set. It, I, I really like the attitude of the band. Yeah. Maybe it's good to have a big speaker here when everybody has to build down <laughs> that we can play <laughs> the whole album to make it. Would it be perfect. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right, Emil. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> 